Didn't see you there. Sorry about that. I was just having a mouthful of teas. Okay, let's move along quickly then. Welcome to Mouthful of Teas. Today we are talking about that flavoured water that we call tea. Uh, we do drink a lot of things that are flavoured water. There's water itself from a stream, which is flavoured with nothing. There's water from the tap, which is flavoured with fluoride and chlorine and whatever else they put in there, and probably a bit of um, fish piss from the dam. Just a little, just a touch. We drink soup, water flavoured with vegetables or meat. We drink stock, similar to soup. We drink coffee. Coffee is water flavoured with the bean of the coffee plant. We drink tea. Tea is water flavoured with the leaf of the tea plant. And we drink herbal infusions or tisans, which are which is water flavoured with anything else other than the coffee bean or the tea leaf. Uh, in fact, we do call those things herbal teas. That's just part of the cultural vernacular because we don't drink much tea at all. But technically, soup is as close to tea or coffee as peppermint or chamomile or lemongrass and ginger is to tea or coffee. Tea is a lower caffeinated than coffee beverage that comes from the Camellia sinensis plant which was first discovered around 2700 BC. Now, to put this into perspective, coffee was discovered in the 15th century. We're in the 21st century now, so that's you know up to 600 years ago. 2700 BC is up to 4700 years ago. That's six times longer that tea's been around. Now think about um, your job or your hobby. If you've done it six times longer than someone else, how much more you know about it, how much more zoomed in you are to the complexities of whatever it is you do. Six times the amount of time for science in discovering the universe, how much more they know. How much more they're zoomed in to molecular discovery so think about it that way how much more how long how much longer the tea plant has been around how more uh, discovery around that plant there has been it's just that in the in western society we drink a lot more coffee i guess because we can put it with sugar and milk it tastes better but in a lot of the eastern world tea is the drink and so much so that they've taken that Camellia sinensis plant and made so many different varieties and hybridized um, plants from that that there is almost endless amounts of tea out there 
They even um, had a variety of the plant <coughs> called Camellia sinensis asamica, which they found uh, grows better in uh, the Indian monsoon or Indian, I think it's northern Indian regions, or where, wherever the, um, the warmer climate and monsoonal rains are. And therefore, or from there became two different types of tea. One, the Assam plant, which is a larger leaf, grows like it, um, like a leaf would in tropical weather, um, larger and faster, and gets used a lot for tea bags. And then there's the original smaller leaf, Sinensis plant, which grows in cooler climates of China. Think about um, wine, how wine regions there are hotter and uh, um, warmer climate and cooler climate wines. And in the warmer climates, the grapes get more sun. They grow um, with more sugar, which turns into more alcohol. They're the bigger, stronger, full-bodied types of wines, whereas cooler climate wines have more delicate flavor. Not saying either one's better, but saying there's a big difference. And that's the same with tea. Just like um, grapevines grow differently with different soils and different um, slopes towards the sun, different microclimates. The same as with tea and coffee plants. The more we get into it, the more complexities there are and the more ability to enjoy different varieties. So what we'll do today is I'm, I'm chatting with David Thompson, who is the owner of Larson & Thompson Teas, the most respected tea brand Australia-wide. Um, just ask your local cafe, and if they don't have it, ask them why. And it's a fascinating chat with David. He knows so much about it. He's been in the industry for a long time. And that's going to go for about 30 minutes. After that, I'll explain the six main types of tea and how they're made. All right, so enjoy this chat with David, and I'll see you back after that. All right, I'm here with uh, David Thompson from Larson and Thompson Teas. Uh, afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Tyson. Thank Good you. Good to be speaking with you. Please, we've both made it this far along the track. <laughs> um, you guys are probably one of the most uh, respected brands of teas out on the market. And um, I did. I went to a, a a tasting you did a while ago. It was so interesting. I really wanted to get into the tea market, but um. I remember one of the things you talked about, the auctions over in India that you went to, and it just blew my mind. But um, I just thought you'd be the best person to call and find out what's happening with tea at the moment and specifically uh, what, where the best teas are coming from at the moment. I assume everything's not just doesn't pluck off a leaf and there's different um, areas, different regions doing, doing different flavors and so on. But yeah, you're the expert. 
the Sphinx. It just means I've been around for a long time. I don't know whether <laughs> and you, you have to learn something no matter how slow you are. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of the where the regions with the best teas are coming from, I was sort of thinking about this the other day. Um, Quality-producing regions haven't really changed much, and in the case of China, it hasn't changed in, you know, five millennia. Like those guys have literally been making tea for five thousand years. So, mm. um, so they're the they're the, they're the sort of benchmark in a way. And then after that, there are a number of new world producers, um, relatively new world that are sort of British colonial constructs. You know, like Sri Lanka and Malaysia. And India, and um, you know that. But Sri Lanka, Malaysia, India, Indonesia, um, Papua New Guinea—they're mainly doing commodity teas. India does a huge amount of commodity teas. I mean, like tea bags. Doesn't mean they can't make good tea. It just means that that's what they tend to do because that's where the easy money is. Um, But within that, you've got um, segments like Darjeeling. Um, producing, you know, really beautiful, high-grown black teas that won't take milk, some excellent um, breakfast teas from Assam, um, also from Kenya, um, but, you know, really beautiful speciality teas. You're probably looking at um, nothing near too close to the equator. You've got to be away from the equator where you've got seasons. So places... Oh, Northeast India again. Um, Nepal's making some really beautiful teas. Japan, um, some fascinating teas. Um, Taiwan, which is probably a little bit closer to the equator, but um, beautiful oolong teas. Uh, but this is a, you know, this is like a, a specialty market, probably very similar to a specialty market for um, for wine. You know, there's right. quantum of Crap wine that's sold is probably far outweighs the quantum of, you know, really high, high quality um, bottled wine. Yeah, I guess. And if you're just drinking the um, low level stuff, you don't really know what you're missing out on. If I'm eating McDonald's cheeseburgers all the time, I don't really yeah, that, know. That's if your a... benchmark. And then yes. if you don't have anything else, you never realise what What's above a really ceiling? good cheeseburger tastes like because you you just sort of dumbed your palate down. Yes, it's very similar with tea. Like if all you're doing is drinking um, commodity teas that you're picking up at a at a supermarket, mm-hmm. and and you stick and you're brand loyal, so you're always buying from one of the famous five multinationals. Well, you know you, you're really not gonna. And even if you did move from one to the other, you're probably not gonna notice get much of a discernible difference they sort of jockey around and compete on price more than they do on quality they're all all offering a fairly similar product they call them neutral based teas which means they don't really have a personality they're just a bit bland and 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 they uh, yes they're tea but they don't really they don't sing you know like none of them really have a a personality or a voice they'll just fairly uh, they won't offend your palate they also won't but, but but they don't do the opposite either they don't they don't um, make you think oh gee that was a really good cup you know whereas at the specialty end you're more likely to get that 
Yeah, right. And so different strokes for different folks. And is that kind and it's of a the money thing sorry. too? You know, um, specialty yes. far more expensive. Not everyone has the money in their pocket, and and not everyone cares about it. It's just not important for them. You know, whereas for some people, it's like no, once they've had it, they'll, they'll never go back. Yeah, but then some people will go and buy um, the fancy brand of Ute rather than buying the cheap, the cheap version. So people do want to spend their money in some places. It's just well, I guess if if they knew, if they knew what's available, they can actually. It's exposure. You're quite right. Mm-hmm. It's just exposure. If they knew what was available and the difference, I think the hardest thing is probably just to get them to try it the first time. Like, yes. You know, I know once people try my breakfast tea, you know, they generally can't go back to what they were having before because the difference in quality is so great. And, you know, it's just the way it is, you know, that they're converted because they they realise, you know, I get this comment constantly, um, they just realise that relative to what else is on the market, there isn't much more of that quality. I've got not an idea that, that. Sorry, I've got an idea the world might be moving that direction anyway. With a lot of things, if we're so money challenged, we're going to realise that buying one thing four times it's not as efficient as buying a good thing once. And I'm just thinking more about um, uh, um, clothing or things like that. But the whole the whole idea we're going get going towards a high quality society. something yeah, yeah is always go, is going to be a better solution yeah yeah if you think about it with the tea if you're buying sort of teas that are these sort of wishy-washy neutral based teas you actually have to portion a lot more to get the same sort of depth of flavor and you're never going to get it completely ah. whereas with the higher quality ones you actually don't need to portion as much because they're more intense in flavour because they've come from the right season. And people don't, you know, look at it like that. I do because I'm in the industry. But if you look at look at it purely from that, it's like, oh, well, it's double the price a kilo, but I'm only using half, I'm only putting needing to put in half as much. Well, it's the same price as the crappy stuff. And when you work out, you know, 70% of the cost of a tea bag is the string and the paper and the staple and the little bag that it, the outer bag that it goes in and then the box and then the wrapping over that, like 70% of the cost of it. And everyone talks about recycling, but there's a huge disconstruct between, you know, the ideal of recycling and the reality that, you know, you're going to have to clean up the leaves after you've and work out where to put them, you know, to recycle them. I just the, the convenience of the tea bag has overridden the ethical uh, um, construct of recycling. Yeah, just interesting. I noticed point. that a lot actually. I think the packaging side of things is we're just um, sweeping that under the rug at the moment, especially during COVID. Especially with all <sighs> yeah, this. Yeah, I know. You know. When I was talking to one of my friends and his buying a lot of food in just because he's got the wherewithal to do it and he just sort of said he said our recycling bin is just overflowing mm. each week you know um, yeah no one's no one's really commented about that um, whereas before that was the main issue you know it was a huge issue 
anyway, but it is what it is. It's been an exceptional year on so many levels, and I'm just really worried for the hospitality industry. I'm not worried for myself. I'm, I'm we're okay. We're a pretty low overhead business, really, and I've been in it for a while. And but um, yeah, it's just a frightening scenario. I just hope a lot of them get through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it, hopefully in the future, when we look back on this moment, that it's actually a good watershed moment. I feel I've got an idea that um, Melbourne itself uh, was a little bit becoming to the point where a little bit up up themselves with how good we think we are because we're called Australia's food culture, and we got to a point where we were yeah, resting yeah. on our laurels, and the whole quality the average quality across the board might have dropped or didn't continue to rise. We weren't pushing ourselves. And if this yeah. if this point at the moment where some businesses aren't making it, it's almost like separating the cream from the milk and it's going to yeah. force those to up their product, uh, up their efforts to survive, which might... Which you know might start pushing up, and um, you know people will be pushing towards better quality anyway, and then there'll be a vacuum that will be opened up for demand underneath for new businesses to come in, and hopefully there might be a new standard that they've got to reach. I'm trying to see a positive in it, David. Yeah, I know we're all we're all we're all looking for positives at the moment, and <laughs> they're not. Um... And and some days it's very difficult to see them, whereas other days you think yes, there will be you know the phoenix will rise from the ashes and um and uh you know i read something the other week and i said oh melbourne when melbourne crashes and it has a few times since um colonization in the 1830s that that it crashes really badly you know 1890s you know half the banks were wiped out you know property didn't come back until probably after the second world war so from 1890 until Nineteen, virtually nineteen fifty, real estate just hardly moved. Right. And the eighteen eighties bank debt took until nineteen sixty to be paid off by the state government. All these amazing things like that. Like mm-hmm. you know, Melbourne's had crap times before, but eighteen eighties the highest standard of living anywhere in the world. You know, for a year or two, and then you know eighteen nineties just uh, a, a dreadful crash that lasted the ramifications of which lasted for years. And now this sort of amazing, you know, close to 30-year positive ride that Australia's had. I always knew this year was going to be bad. I just didn't couldn't quite put my finger on <laughs> why it was going to be so bad. But, yeah, what a doozy. Anyway. Um, I found it interesting you were t- when you just said about... Um um, the tea blends you get from the supermarket and that they're a lot not as strong as you think which explains why my dad always used to get the shits with me about either not making sure to leave the bag in or to make put two bags and well, yeah well that's what i do if like if i if, if, if i was when we were allowed to travel interstate and i stayed in sort of cheesy motels uh driving motel in the car when i was out sort of flogging on the road i'd what I'd do is I'd put two before I had my shower. I put two tea bags into the into the cup and put the saucer on top of it. Have a shower, to keep it come hot. back, and then then it was almost 
that was vaguely strong enough for me. You'd <laughs> to, squ- squeeze it on the way out too. Yeah, pretty much. That was the other thing, using the spoon <laughs> to try and wrap around and grab something. But yeah, there's just nothing in them, you know. And it's like, well, yes, they're cheap, but they're not even offering you anything, you know. And you Filler. put the milk with them. By the time you put the milk with it, if you're having milk tea, it's just like, wow, just like dishwater. It's really underwhelming. Now, it's you... sad, you know, and a lot of, some of the Indians said to me years ago, I said, well, I understand why tea just lost it against coffee. I said, what was being offered was just such crap that no wonder consumers walked away from it because it just wasn't a satisfying cup anymore. And they realized they were being ripped off. You know, and all the stuff that's being offered, it probably comes from the monsoon periods, you know, because in a lot of the growing regions, say in in Sri Lanka and in India, where they have monsoons, there's an enormous amount of rain and there's a dilution of flavour. And so there's a vast amount of growth, but there's not a lot of body in those teas, but they're cheap. And so, you know, yes, they are tea. And, and 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 they're cheap to buy. And so that's what they all offer, you know, because they're trying to get it on the supermarket shelves at whatever the price point is. Hmm. It's sad. It's not that there isn't good tea around. They, they just compete at a lower level and dumb down the blend so that they can replicate the same mediocrity pretty much at any time of the year cost effectively and still keep the profit margin that they need you know, um, I commend their ability to um, be able to offer such blends that always taste the same but in order to do that they've dumbed down the quality so greatly that the satisfaction's not there Unless you have what you said is um, when people try your English breakfast blend, they, they can't go back. Yeah, yeah. That pretty much I found that. You know, people buying online might start buying one 75-gram packet and then they're buying 500 grams and yeah. then they start buying two or three 500-gram pouches at a time. You know, Not because they're drinking more and more of it, but just because presumably they trust the product and they know that it's going to be consistent. And is this, um, with your blend, do you, uh, it's something that you mix the ingredients of seasonally? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of quite, I've been working with the same supplier for my good morning or my, my version of English breakfast for uh, I think it's 23 or 24 years now, which, wow. which is a long time. Mm. And, and we know each other very well. You know, we can sort of aggravate each other very, very quickly. Nice. We, we, but, but we're also really good. We're really good friends. And we've been through a lot together. But, um, you know, Ajay will, he'll just, he'll just try and, you know, he'll buy from whatever um, uh, gardens he he feels he needs to to try and replicate the same thing, but you know I'm any uh, I'm a seasonal. We're seasonal buyers. We're looking for quality. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not 
we've we've never really looked for a price point. You know, I couldn't I I couldn't and didn't want to play the supermarket game. It's a big boys game. Yeah. And um and selling to Coles and Woolworth, well there've been so many things said about the way they treat small suppliers. Yes. It's not an equal you know, it's not an equal negotiation. It probably isn't even equal for the very large multinational tea companies. That that end up getting a bit punched around by the time they'd come out of the ring. Um, I didn't even want to go into that ring. No. Um, and so, so I just went to another segment of the market. Yeah. And and um, you know, it was just about timing. Um, coffee was coming up, and there really wasn't much by way of good tea around and um, I just fell into the market at the right time. I met John Larson in India and he was sort of guiding about how to work with the Indians and then we both felt that there just wasn't really good quality tea available in Melbourne, which was the case at the time. You know, Twinings was the sort of the creme de la creme and uh, I just started bringing stuff in and then the market just sort of ended up coming around to us. Um, and blend-wise, there's more to life than um, English breakfast, right? You just Definitely. said you do a brec- you do a breakfast blend. And what else is it's there? It's still the largest component of our sales, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, um, but yes, you know, it's only if you're looking at specialty teas. Um, there's just an enormous number. There are thousands of different styles, really. You know, if you just look at China, you know, some number of different sort of subcultivars and slightly different plants with indistinct geographical areas, even within one particular growing region, enormous thousands of them, you know. Um, and then I used to get very aggravated because people say, oh, I don't like tea. And I'm sort of like, well, you know, what what sort of flavour spectrum do you want? Do you want something sort of heavy and rounded and with some astringency? Are you going to put milk with it? Do you want something mellow and light on the palate? Do you want green tea, do you want a semi-fermented oolong tea, semi-oxidised oolong tea. There are so many different flavour profiles. One of my Indian friends said everything from soda water to Coca-Cola. You know, it's true, it's like everything's there. So it's that's the frustrating thing when people say that they don't like it. It's like, well, maybe you just haven't found what actually suits your palate. Yeah. You know, and that's where the exposure thing comes in. But, you know, for a lot of us, very small, um, you know, we're effectively micro businesses in the specialty tea. And a lot of us don't really have the time to, as much time as we'd like to educate our customers because that's, you know, we're too busy sort of making sure we're compliant for the local. Um, health department or for, you know, we've got our business activity statement in or, or you know, there's all these other compliance issues that small for small business that 
take up a huge amount of time, and you know that's just the way it is in 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 in, in Western democracies. I'm not I'm not whinging about it. You know, you have to be compliant, but it takes away from from that side where you know that if you had more time to expose people to different teas, um, you know that you could you know, convert them, change their um, approach to the product, yes. and not in a manipulative way, simply just by exposing and saying, "Well, what do you like out of those? You know, five. The one you like more than another one? Like, oh, quite like that oolong, and then." You could pull out ten different oolongs from ten different growing regions and run them through those. Once you sort of got an idea of where their palate was and their preference was biased, and then it might work down to which one they could afford. Um, I've got one other question which I um, had for you here. Yeah, but um. Um, some people call them herbal teas. You yep. s- you called it something different before, and the other word uh, which tisanes tisanes is it's a sort of a it's a French word, and yes. I, I quite like it because it sounds a bit sounds sounds a bit punsy like Melbourne used to be, you know. That's so. <laughs> when I try to say tisanes, <laughs> it just sounds elegant, and and you know people sort of say, oh. Uh, I like tea, you know, and I go, what's the tea do you like? I like peppermint and chamomile. And you're sort of like, oh, God, what do I say now? Like, I'm going to come across as a real snob if I go, well, technically, peppermint isn't actually a tea. It's yeah. a it's a herbal infusion or a tisane. Yes. So, but I, and, you know, so people are confusing Camellia sinensis, you know, from the tea plant mm-hmm. with herbs. And, and then calling them herbal teas as if they're the same thing, and it and it it's very difficult in conversation to sort of you, you sound like you, you're preaching to them or you're or you're trying to teach them, and and you've got to be careful how you do that with people. You can't make people feel that um, they don't know anything. But so that's yeah. always a, a critical thing, just to sort of say, well, when I'm talking about tea, I'm talking about um, uh, a decoction from the leaves or stalks of the Camellia sinensis plant. Yes. The the tea plant, as opposed to infusions of dried herbs. Which, um, which is it? Ju- it's more just a flavored water, just like tea is. A tea is a flavored water from the tea plant. Those other ones are flavored waters from a variety from, of different from, plants from a herb. It's, and coffee they call is it a de- decoction, you know, where, where you've extracted the same way you're doing with coffee. Like yeah. you're extracting flavor from a, le- a dried leaf. Yes. In the case of the tea leaf, but it's the same with the peppermint. You've, extra- you've extracted the, the flavor from the leaf by infusing it in water for a cert- at a certain uh, ratio of, or weight of tea to a volume of water and a certain water temperature or chamomile or hibiscus or what have you. Do you find... I think, you know, when, when you... There was a question you put the other day saying, what do I think, you know, the trends will be mm. for the future. I think after this horrendous event that we're 
that still isn't over and we you know and it won't be over for a long time uh, you know we've got to get a vaccine etc I think there's going to be a huge um, interest in herbal infusions in tisans oh. and you know that that's my feeling why is that everyone will be everyone will be looking for something that makes them live to 120 and uh-huh. you know not get cancer. I don't really actually think that's possible, but <laughs> it doesn't mean people won't be looking for it. Yes. And there'll be a whole lot of snake oil salesmen running around making extravagant claims that can't be substantiated. Yes. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but people, you know, it's like religion. People, a lot of people really want to believe and um, it's just the way it is. And um, But you know, and, and things without as much caffeine, maybe because they think that um, uh, you know that might might make them more tense, and they might be a bit more relaxed without caffeine. Yeah, you know, I, I I think for that reason, you know, the pandemic itself is will push that along a little bit. I, I think that's my spin on it. Yeah, I feel also if um, um, uh, some more uh, facts come out about um, cow milk and how much yes. coffee is based in cow milk and how uh, over-moderation um, of it, having too much of it might be bad for us as well, might push us all towards um, teas as well yeah. rather than just um, yeah. tisans. Do you sell more certain certain blends of um, tisans that are finding are popular? I tend not to. I've got a few blends, but I tend. I'm sort of a bit of a purist, the same yes. as I am with tea. Nice. Just, but, but, but so, like, okay, I've got straight hibiscus, and I do do a couple of blends with it. But I just quite like, you know. Yep. Um, someone contacted me yesterday. They wanted to know what uh, tisa- blends of tisans or blends of herbal infusions that I had, and I said, "Well, look, I've got." this and this but why don't you tra- take some um, hibiscus some pure hibiscus or some um, rosebud and and I said just get on jump on the net and start trying to work out what you can create in terms of iced teas because I assumed that's what it was when the weather's warming up and people are looking for that sort of thing mm-hmm. and I sort of think if people want a unique selling proposition that that you know, they should really try and create their own niche by doing it. Nice. Um, I'll, I'll help them to a degree, and, and I'll certainly guide them. Um, but, you know, there's some great mixologists out there uh, in, in hospitality, and, and, and there are people who are interested enough to do it. Um, and then they've created something that, you know, no one else really knows the recipe for, even better, and then just develop a following for it. Um all I'm trying to do is just make sure I've got the best raw materials around at good prices and that, you know, people in hospitality stick to us because um, uh, we're giving them good quality products at a, at a good price and uh, getting, to, getting them to them as promptly as we can. Yeah, I only hear good... Um Good words about you out there in the in the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if, right. if caffeine's a thing people want to have less of, are there different forms of um, 
Well, none tea. of the herbs are going to have caffeine in. Yeah, but, but in the tea. same token is with with the teas themselves, the really good, the really um, the best quality, high grown specialty teas mm-hmm. probably have the most caffeine in right. them. But you know, okay, with a coffee. Roughly 20 grams of ground coffee into the head. Is that correct? So yeah, it's a normal... about, that, about around 20 grams. Okay, so let's say that tea is 2 grams per 150 mils, same sort of volume of water. Roughly it has round about um, half the caffeine on average that coffee would have, but you're only using a tenth of it. So that means, doesn't it mean it's got 5% of the caffeine that a cough that a standard coffee has? Yep. So even if you've got a spring tea from Nepal or from Taiwan, which are bound to have more caffeine than one from the monsoon, yes. the amount is minuscule relative to coffee because it's like 5%, yep. you know, maximum 10%. You'd have to be incredibly sensitive to caffeine to get wired to the same degree. Do even the, I would have felt. Do even the younger picked leaves like white tea have the same level? Well, so the thing with, if, if it's a really good quality white tea, it's meant to be only picked in the first couple of weeks of the season. So if you think about oh. it, it's like the, the plant's gone through a dormancy in winter. So yep. there's been very little growth, and it's just like what's happening outside in, in, uh, if for people who are lucky enough to have gardens, or but everyone's, I guess a lot of people are walking and seeing what's happening in gardens or in parks. You know, spring's here, and... Um, just that growth that's you know those teas are those white teas are picked at this sort of time you know in 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 um, the eastern seaboard of China so there's a huge amount of um, strength in them and that's where the flavors coming from and it's also why there's more caffeine in them Okay, it's just it's it's the first lot picked. It's the first lot because the thing's effectively been sleeping, and then it's just come out of a dormancy, and it's throwing up leaves, and the sap's rising, and it's all just right. I don't come from a science or a biology background, so me neither. Excuse my um, fairly rough way of describing it, because I, I know that I'm right, but I don't have the scientific jargon to make it sound as polished as no, that's cool. um, an expert in that field would. Um, well, look, I could keep talking to you all day, but tell us where, um, I mean, people know your brand. You've got the very nice uh, packaging that stands out, but are you stocking Australia-wide? I'm stocking Australia-wide, but because I'm Melbourne born and bred, you know, and, and, and my business is based here, we tend to be much stronger here. I'd, I'd love to have heaps more um, representation interstate, but you sort of can't be everywhere at once, and you always seem to 
tend to, in my opinion, just have a greater strength in some areas than because you started there. Yeah. Um, and we're doing a lot of online selling now that we weren't doing yeah, before the advent of the pandemic, uh, and which is great. So that's getting it around the country a bit more. And I don't know any other website where you can um, buy online from different regions, India, China, Nepal, Australia, and Burma. You've yeah. got all that on your website. It's awesome. Yeah, and you know, I, I sort of don't really want to have a heap more growing origins just in the sense that the more you have, the less expert you are in what you're doing. Yep, Because you're diluting on. your energy over too many growing regions. And then all you're trying to do is make sure you've got everything in stock. And then your quality starts to drop because you've got too many things that you've got to bring in. If you have a sort of a core, I've just found it easier for me to work with that way. Then I can ensure that I've got adequate stock and the qualities you know, good, and I can get it again. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. It sounded like you pretty much were describing my life then with, by trying to do too many things at once and becoming a ma well, we master of none. Particularly when we're younger, you know. It's, you don't have to close doors when you're younger. You can just keep a whole lot of them open and try <laughs> and work out which one. At a certain point, unfortunately, you have to start closing them down a bit so <laughs> working out what you can feasibly handle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hi, David. I guess yeah. what we've been through with the pandemic, a lot of us are having to reassess what we've done before and what we're going to do in the future and, um, yeah, and, you know, where we're going to work and how. Um, Tyson, thanks for the... Um, invitation to speak with you oh, i appreciate I really, your time re really enjoyed it no not at all not at all i hope i hope there's something there that's of, 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 of some use for you oh most of it it's very interesting good good i hope so i found that chat so interesting uh, i hope you did too now, we're going to talk about the different types of tea that there are. I'm going to put some images up on Instagram, so have a look at them if you want to understand this a little bit further. But from one plant, from one leaf, they can make so many different types of flavored waters. You can put milk in it if you want. Some of them are good with milk because of the levels of tannin and um, the proteins in milk will attach to the tannins so you don't taste them as much. But most teas um, uh, are meant to stand alone so you get the full flavors from them. But anyway, from one leaf, they get six main types of tea. You might have heard of most of them. Green tea, yellow tea, white tea, oolong tea, black tea, and fermented teas. What's the difference? Well, let me just quickly explain the processes that these leaves go through. So the first step is called plucking. Of course, 
you got to pluck the leaf off the tree. Whoop-de-doo. But there is a lot of detail that goes into how you pluck the tea, which fingers you use, um, a mechanism of the wrist. And the reason for this is that they have things called flushes with teas. So they'll pick early in spring, sometimes late in spring and also early in summer. Let's just say they do early in spring and early in summer. The first pick in spring is called the first flush. And when the leaves grow back again, three months later, they pick again early in summer. And that's called the second flush. Now, the difference between those is that after winter, maybe there's more verve in the growth of the the new leaves in spring. And therefore, there might be um, more complexities or more flavor, more nuances of that plant itself in the first flush. And if if the leaves are plucked incorrectly, then they're not going to grow back as they might want them to for the second flush. If that's the case, uh, they might not have big enough yield and that's going to cost that farm money and so on. So the way leaves are picked is very important. So plucking is one of the stages, important stages of tea. Second thing is withering. So when the leaves come off the tree, they leave them in the sun or not in the sun if they don't want to affect the chlorophyll in the leaves. Um, What they do to this is just why they do, why they wither the leaves is to remove Uh, water from the leaves so just drying out in the sun Um, variances in the rate of withering are shown to influence flavor compounds and so even just chucking the leaves in the sun there's a lot of detail that goes into it which might change the flavor of the tea next thing is a big part called oxidization now Oxidization is what happens to your apple once you cut it and it starts to turn brown. That's the flesh of the apple that was um, formerly sheltered by the skin, reacting with the oxygen in the air. It's also the scientific term for how rust develops. It's just something reacting with oxygen, hence the name oxidization. And so tea leaves will go through some level of oxidization, uh, which is, yeah, reacting to the oxygen in the air. Um, Oxidization is highly important in the formation of many tastes and aroma compounds, which give tea its color, its strength, and its briskness, uh, depending on the type of tea desired. Under or over oxidization can result in grassy flavors. And now, oxidization is the fourth stage. Um, The second stage was withering. Sometimes they'll do a third stage, which is called disruption, which is they will encourage the rate of oxidization by bruising the leaf, giving it a bit of a knock around before they let it oxidize. And so that's another level of affectation they can have on the way it oxidizes. So you notice throughout these processes, there's different. It's not just a simple process. There's ways that they can manipulate or vary 
the way the tea leaf is changed. And this is why you get so many different varieties of tea. All right, after oxidization is the fifth level, which is called fixation or kill green, which is what you do if you want to stop the oxidization process. Now, this is when you will um, either pan fry the tea leaf or steam it. And um, what this does, it deactivates the oxidative enzymes and remove, removes unwanted scents in the leaves without damaging the flavor of the tea. And so yeah, what you're doing is stopping how much oxidization you want by yeah, pan frying it, which is the way that it's done in China, or steaming it, which is the way it's done in Japan. Um, pan frying, just like when you pan fry or bake a vegetable or meat, if it starts to get that um, color on it, it will have um, uh, stronger flavors or more complex flavors, whereas a steaming actually gives it a more vibrant color. And that might be the difference between Chinese and Japanese teas. Now, there's a sixth stage here, which is called sweltering or yellowing. That's only done in yellow teas. I'll explain that more when we talk about yellow tea. The next stage after oxidization and fixing, stopping the oxidization, is uh, rolling or sh and shaping. And this is more like a presentation thing, and it also will keep the flavors that are existing rolled up uh, so that they can't escape, more maintaining what they've created. Um, some of this is done by hand or machine. You'll see tea rolled into tiny little pellets called gunpowder. They'll roll them into um, cones and ball shapes and long um, cigar shapes and so on. So rolling and shaping. Then the next stage is drying. And drying is where you kind of finish it off. You don't want anything else done to the tea after drying. It's what yeah, yeah it's how you finish it for sale. Um, there's different ways of drying. They'll pan, they'll dry it in a pan, sunning, air drying, or baking. Baking is the most common method. And drying the drying of the produced tea is responsible for many new flavor compounds, particularly important in green teas, especially because green teas don't go through uh, any oxidization, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the ninth stage is aging or curing. Oh, hold on a second. Back into drying. This is where you, in between the um, rolling and shaping or drying, is where you will get tea flowers, those things you put in a cup, they're a ball, and then they open up. They'll get a uh, some type of flower. There's a few different types of flowers I'll do it with. And then they will um, roll a tea around that into a ball shape and fix it all at the bottom and then dry it into a ball so it stays as that hard dry ball. Then when you put it into water, that's when it opens up and resembles a flower. But that is made with a flower and with the tea leaf. I think it's normally done with 
green tea, but I'm not actually sure about that. I'm assuming that because green tea might be more, um, more malleable, able to be formed into that ball. That's just my opinion. I don't know that for sure. Um, this nine-stage aging and curing, this is only done for the fermented teas we talked about. Um, some teas require additional aging, fermentation, or baking to reach their drinking potential. For instance, a green tea called Pu'er, prior to curing into a post-fermented tea, is often bitter and harsh in taste, but becomes sweet and mellow through fermentation by age or dampness. There's two ways that they age the teas. We'll talk about that when we talk about fermented teas. And also at this stage of aging and curing is when they will make um, aroma types of tea. So they will spray the tea with the aroma or synthetic flavor or even natural flavor because tea will absorb flavors around it. We did talk about this in the state of cafes episode, but this is why tea has to be stored in non-porous um, vessels, glass, or um, metal that air can't get in. And also the glass is very good because glass won't keep any flavors of what was in there before. Once you wipe the glass, you normally it would normally be a neutral flavor, but otherwise the tea will absorb that which was in it before. If you put if you put um, some tea into your uh, jar of honey that you didn't wash properly, that tea will start will taste like honey later on. All right, and the last stage is sorting. Of course, they sort it, but uh, sorting will help remove any impurities such as uh, stems and seeds, and also they will sort into grades. And these are where you hear the word pico. Um, there's a there's a hierarchy of grades of tea. The smaller leaves are more sought after. Um, and so through this sorting stage is, is when they will separate the more expensive teas from the knot. Okay. Types of tea. Now we're going to do this in order of oxidization. So the first one is green tea, which you should all know. Uh, green tea is green because it's the color of the leaf and it's gone through the least amount of oxidization. Now, oxidization, just like when your apple starts to turn brown the same with the leaf, it will start to turn darker. That's why the teas that are the most oxidized, we know them as black tea or Chinese call them red tea, they are very dark in color. So that's the difference in the amount of oxidization. They are 100% oxidized, whereas green tea is close to zero oxidization, hence its name, green tea. Tea leaves may be left to dry as separate leaves, or they may be rolled into small pellets to make gunpowder tea. Well, we talked about that. And we talked about the difference between pan frying and steaming. So yeah, the green tea, they pick them, wither it a tiny bit, 
they fix it, as in they stop any oxidization, they dry it, chuck in a bag, and off it goes. After they've sorted it, of course. We're not going to talk about sorting in this little section here. Next tea, yellow tea. Yellow tea is exactly the same as green tea, except it goes through one more little process called yellowing. So just like green tea, the leaf comes off, it's withered in the sun or not in the sun for a little bit, then fixed, it stops the oxidization happening. Then they chuck it in a container or a big, a, a large vessel. I think it's underground. doesn't have to be. Let's just, on a small scale, you chuck it in a plastic container with a little bit of um, heat and a tiny bit of moisture in there. And it changes the leaf from green to yellow and also uh, adjusts its flavor a little bit. And so it might be a little bit more expensive generally because it's gone through one more step and probably because there's less of it available, supply and demand would make it a little bit more expensive. After this process of um, yellowing, it's then dried, sorted, and so on. Third tea, white tea. Now white tea, there's a couple of different laws around naming of white teas in China, I know it's a lot more rigid, the system. Therefore, that's uh, there's less of it. Therefore, it's more expensive. Uh, the Western world, we have uh, wider parameters for naming white teas. Therefore, we can have access to them and they're not as expensive as the ones in China. But white tea goes through a little bit of its minor oxidization um, through a little bit of a little bit more withering than green or yellow tea um, but with white tea it's done with specific younger leaves smaller younger leaves which I think are picked in very specific days especially in uh, China they're very Specific with, like I said, with the rules around white tea. But white tea, um, withering, they don't fix it, but they halt the oxidization process by baking, or it's a drying process, within the optimal withering conditions, which are 30 degrees Celsius, 65% humidity, for about 26 hours. White teas are not needed, nor undergo fixation, which preserves much of the white hair on the leaves and gives the tea a relatively mild flavor. All right, next tea is oolong tea. You know what, we're gonna skip oolong and come back. No, that's not true. Next tea is oolong tea. Now, oolong is a weird name, since we're just going through colors, green, yellow, white, and then black. Black tea is the what you're thinking about with tea bags. And the majority of tea that we have around here um, in Western society anyway. Oolong is in between, that whole range in between black tea, which is fully oxidized, and green tea, which is not oxidized at all. So oolong tea runs from 
20% oxidization all the way out to 80 or close to 100. And so with oolong teas, they bring them in off the tree once it's been plucked, weather it in the sun, they roll them and bruise them a bit, then oxidization, and then of course, depending on what type of oolong, oolong they want to make, is how long they'll let it oxidize, then they'll fix it, then they'll dry it, sort it, pack it, and so on. So oolong teas, to me, it's not. I think I've tried it once, but I might have only tried one variety. There's such it's such a wide area of teas to try, so many different um, flavors. Let's read this about oolong tea. Relatively short oxidization period of uh, several hours. Most Darjeeling teas with light oxidization levels are similar to green or oolong teas. Common wisdom about lightly oxidized teas in Taiwan, which is a large producer of oolong, is that li too little oxidization upsets the stomach of some consumers. Okay. So maybe that's why they um, have a certain, like a minimum level of oxidization, whatever percentage that is, high 20s or so on. Um, but for me, oolong is very interesting now because there's a whole range between black and white. Welcome to the 21st century. Um, there's so, much, so many different varieties to try and land on one and be like, oh, I like that one. I like this amount of oxidization. Anyway, next, black tea. Black tea is the main tea we all know. Pretty much everything that's in tea bags. I think it's the largest amount of tea worldwide, especially in the Western world. The leaves come off after they're plucked, withered in the sun, rolled and bruised, then oxidized. I'm pretty sure it oxidizes out to 100%. Let's just double check this. Black tea is first withered to induce protein breakdown and reduce content up to 77% of the original water. Oxidization takes, process takes between 40 and 90 minutes, up to three hours, and is done with a high humidity, humidity uh, between 20 and 30 degrees. Now, because... There's so much of it produced. A lot of it's done by machine. And for some farms, it is um, better money for them to produce a lot of it quickly. Therefore, they'll do it with machines. And it's a different method than by hand. And it will it's called the crush-tear-curl method. And because it's uh, done by machines and quickly, the leaves aren't maintained in their shape is pretty they smash it up and that's what goes into tea uh, tea bags i just found it interesting in the chat with david thompson about the percentage of cost that goes into tea bags 70 percent of the cost of what you're paying for is the packaging of the tea bag rather than the tea itself and so in that theory they are putting quite a low grade or uh, disrespected leaves into those tea bags. So, what you get in your in your tea bag, there might be whole another world of quality out there that hasn't been 
smashed apart by machines and it could be real delicious. The last type of tea is fermented tea, one I've never tried. And so similar to green tea, it is uh, fixed and dried. And then what they'll do is they'll either get the pile of dried leaves, um, throw it in a big pile together and add or put it in a slightly humid environment and it will start to mold and ferment with a little bit of water or they will um, pack it together at that stage and store it and over time they'll use the time to ferment it rather than using the water and so you get so many different flavors with this i think it's its own little niche world mostly called poor teas um and look i think that's for the connoisseur or the um experienced tea drinker that's the next stage to go to I need to get past drinking just green and black tea and start trying this whole world that's out there before I even get to these um, fermented teas. All right, look, I find this topic super interesting. I hope you have too. Uh, I hope it opens up a whole new world of options when you find out when we find out that um, too much dairy is not good for us by having milky coffees, by finding out that too much caffeine is eliminating too much water from our bodies and making us a bit dried up inside the body, inside the brain, and we look for a less caffeinated beverage to drink, then there's this whole world out there waiting for you. Um, thanks a lot for listening. If you don't die tonight, we'll see you tomorrow. And tomorrow... Ask your local cafe what teas they carry. And um, you know what to look for now, so demand some more quality. And that's how we raise the floor on the quality we consume. And don't call them herbal teas, you numbskull. They're called herbal infusions or tisans. Okay, get out of here. Mouth. Mouth.